Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure of his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the richness of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we begin a new series looking at the book of Ephesians. And it really is an amazing book. I'm really looking forward to preaching through it this year. Uh, One writer says this about Ephesians. Ephesians is rightly regarded as one of the most significant letters of human history. It is, in its own way, majestic, profound, exhilarating, and... If its message is to be taken seriously, nothing short of earth-shattering. One man, John McKay, he was a 14-year-old boy in the hills of Scotland, and as a teenager, he opened up the book of Ephesians. And as he read it, his life was turned upside down. This is what he wrote about that experience. When he read the Ephesians, he said, he wrote, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I was really alive. To this book, I owe my life. And another person said about this book, what we read here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. Isn't that beautiful? The things we read in this book, this little book of Ephesians, is so wonderful. It's like truth that sings. It's like like doctrine set to music. It really is a stunning book. We're going to look at so many things from this book of Ephesians. We're going to look at questions like, why should we worship? What should we pray for? What's so amazing about grace? Why go to church? 
How do we keep unified? What's God's plan for marriage? How should we be parents? How should we approach our jobs? How do we deal with spiritual warfare? The list goes on. So many great things in this little book. And my prayer is that, like many people before, our lives would be changed by the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you in your own time to read it for yourself and actually perhaps even read it in one sitting. If you listen to this book, it takes 25 minutes to listen to it. 25 minutes, you listen to this book on the way to work. And particularly because on Sundays when we preach through it, we're actually going to be preaching through it quite slowly. We're going to be preaching through this in 21 sermons. 21 sermons. Now, the danger of that is that we look at the trees and miss the forest. You know, so I want to encourage you in your own time to, to read it so you can get the big picture. Read it a few times, meditate on it. Maybe even memorize this book over the next few months as we preach through this glorious book. Well, let's pray together as we open up this stunning book called Ephesians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every word you give us is breathed out by you and it's for our good. We thank you for this book of Ephesians. We thank you for the people whose lives have been changed by it. And we pray as we feast on this book this year that you would make sure that we are never the same. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Well, today, as an introduction to this letter, we're just going to be looking at verse 1 and 2. I told you I was going slowly. <laughs> Verse 1 and 2, if you've been a Christian for a while, they're the kind of verses you read and you just kind of skip over, as though it's like an introduction. But actually, I reckon in, even in just these two verses, we see a great introduction to the book, but also some really important things for us. In particular, I think in these first two verses, we're going to see a big theme of identity. Who are you? Who are we? This book, it's written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it was a big, big city in the Roman Empire. But most scholars think it was actually a book intended to be circulated to lots of different places. It's applicable to everyone. It's applicable to us. And it covers a real important theme. Who are we? Who are you? Our culture is obsessed with that question, this topic of identity. Who are we? Our culture is so obsessed, more than any other culture, I think, in the history of the world, uh, because knowing who you are and being true to yourself is seen today as the key to being happy and healthy and fulfilled. And our culture says the way to live a fulfilled life is by being true to how you feel on the inside, who you are. That's the authentic life. That's the fulfilled life. Here's the thing, though. When you look at our culture, that strategy doesn't seem to be working very well, does it? There's more anxiety than ever before. There's more narcissism than ever before. This strategy of, of coming up with our own identity, making it up by looking within, doesn't seem to be working very well. I'll tell you what's so beautiful about being a Christian we don't have to come up with our own identity. We're freed from the burden of, of looking within to come up with our own identity. Instead, we listen to God. 
What matters about you is more than looking within. What matters about you is more than what your friends say about you or your family says about you or your boss. What matters more than anyone else is what God says about you. That's your identity. Who God says you are. And so as we look at just these little two verses, I think there's five things for us that I hope we see about our identity as followers of Jesus. Five things that God says about our identity. Here's number one. Who are we? We are messengers. We are messengers. Verse one, you can see it there. I hope you've got it open. Ephesians 1. It starts, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. When you and I write a letter today, or, I mean, who writes letters? Emails. When you write an email, the way we start it is by writing who we're writing to. We say, dear sweat. It's not till we get to the end of the letter that we say, from Andrew. That's the end of the email that you find out who's writing it. Well, the people in the ancient world, I reckon, had a better, better approach. Because they say right at the beginning, who's writing it? You kind of want to know that at the beginning. That's what Paul does. He starts, Paul. I'm the guy writing it, Paul. And what does he say about himself? He calls himself an apostle. An apostle was someone sent by Jesus as a messenger. Sent by Jesus as a messenger to proclaim who Jesus is, to proclaim the love and the life found in him. Now, Paul didn't sign up for this job as a messenger. He didn't fill out some kind of church form and then got assigned it on a roster. It's by the will of God. God gave him this role as a messenger. Now, I, I don't think this, te- uh, this word apostle, I don't think there are apostles like this today in the technical sense. Paul was someone who was especially chosen by Jesus. Uh, there are apostles who were especially chosen to start the early church, to, to be the start of the church. I don't think there are apostles in that sense today. But if you are a Christian today, you are still a messenger. You're still a messenger. You've still been sent by Jesus to share the good news. Here's what I love. If you know anything about Paul, Paul used to be famous for killing Christians. He used to be famous for persecuting Christians. People were terrified of him. The idea that he is now a Christian and a messenger of Jesus, I mean, It would be kind of like if a terrorist became a pastor. It really is that radical. Because his life has been turned upside down. Last week we met Mahia, who is one of our ministry interns here, training for ministry. And I was talking to him this week. When he was was Muslim, about 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, he was being trained to be a Muslim evangelist, being trained to convince people to turn to Islam. And now less than 10 years later, he has now been trained to be a Christian evangelist because his life has been turned upside down by Jesus. Uh, God transforms lives. And perhaps if you're thinking, who am I to be used by God? Who am I? 
who am I to be used as a messenger by God? Well, who is Paul? God can use anyone. He can use anyone, no matter who you are. If you're thinking, oh, God doesn't want to use me. I've got, I've got this kind of background. I've got this kind of past and this kind of sin in my life. God doesn't want to use me. Well, yes, he does. If you think, well, there are other people who have been Christians for longer. There are other people who are more capable or more equipped than me. That is not true. God wants to use anyone. We are messengers. And yes, we'll all have different roles and different parts to play. But God wants to use us all. He's sending us all out on mission for him. That's the first thing I want us to see about our identity. We are messengers. We are messengers. Number two, who are we? We are saints. We're saints. You see what it says in the next sentence? It says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Those words, holy people. Other translations use the word saints. Saints. Now, we often think of saints as some kind of big shot in the church. You know, Saint Augustine, Saint Mark, Saint Matthew, the kind of person that gets a church named after them or a fancy building named after them. But actually, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. That's what the Bible says. Every Christian is a saint. It comes from the Old Testament where God rescued his people out of Egypt and he set them apart to be a holy nation, to be saints. He is the holy God and he set them apart for himself, to belong to him, set apart for him. If you're a Christian, you are set apart for God. You are holy. You are precious to him. You are a saint. I think at church, every time when we, when we greet each other, we should say, hello, Saint Justin, good to see you. Good to see you, Saint Frank. Good to see you, Saint Charlie. Let's get into that habit. Because that's our identity. Now, if we think about ourselves like that, how's that going to shape the way we live? I, last year, I read a book called Atomic Habits. Anyone read this book? It's been on the bestseller list for a while. And um, one of the key ideas in this book is that if you want to develop good habits... It starts with how you view yourself and your identity. So if you want to get into the habit of going to the gym, you start by saying, viewing yourself as, I'm someone who is a healthy person. Or if you want to get into the habit of waking up early, you start viewing yourself as, well, I'm, I'm the kind of person that makes the most of the time I've been given. You see? Now, I think it's the same with being a Christian. See, we start with how do we view ourselves? I am a saint. I am set apart for God. Special to Him. Set apart to live for Him. And if you view yourself that way, gee, it changes how you live. Now, yes, we still sin. I still sin. But we're no longer defined by that. We are saints who sin. Forgiven saints who sin. 
We're set apart to live for God, to serve Him, to honor Him, to obey Him. Do you really believe that's how God views you? I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, that word saint, that's for someone else, the real holy people, the real godly people in church, that's not me. I hope you believe, I hope you really believe it is you. If you trust Jesus, you are a saint in the house of God. Number three, who are you? You are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That that sentence there says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful, it just talks about people who believe in Jesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The people in Ephesus, they've got two homes. They've got two addresses. Their first address is in Ephesus. Their second address is in Christ Jesus. If this letter was to us, it'd read, to God's holy people in Macquarie Park, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Two addresses. What's the saying? Well, this idea, in Christ Jesus, those words come up over and over again in the book of Ephesians. We're going to see it so much. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's a theological idea called union with Christ. It is the idea that if you are a Christian, you are united with Christ. You belong to Jesus. You are one with Jesus. You are in a relationship with Jesus. And what is true about Jesus is true about you. There's a great illustration from a guy called Rory Shiner, and it's so good that I'm just going to steal it. It's so good. Can't beat it. He uses the idea of someone catching a plane from Perth to Sydney. Someone's getting a plane from Perth to Sydney. What relationship would you need to have with that plane to get from Perth to Sydney? Do you need to be under the plane? Plane takes off from Sydney. You kind of hold on to the bottom, hang on for dear life, hope you get to Sydney. No, not going to work. Do you need to be inspired by the plane? Plane takes off from Sydney and you're just there going, wow, that plane is so inspiring. How good. I want to be like that plane one day. No, it doesn't work either. Do you need to be behind the plane? Plane takes off. You run as fast as you can, chase it, hope to get there. No. You need to be in the plane. You need to be in the plane. And so if I was wondering, if you were wondering, did Andrew get from Sydney to Perth? What you're really wondering is, did the plane get from Sydney to Perth? Because if the plane got to Sydney, to, from Sydney to Perth, and Andrew was in the plane, then I know Andrew got from Sydney to Perth. Do you get it? That is what it's saying when it comes to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. And so what Jesus has done counts for you too. Jesus died. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have died to your sinful way of life. Jesus rose again. If you are in Christ, you have risen to new life. 
Jesus is in the heavenly realms. If you are in Christ, that's where your identity is. That's where your home is. In Ephesians, it says we are saved in Christ, chosen in Christ, redeemed in Christ, reconciled in Christ, part of the church in Christ, over and over and over again. We're going to keep seeing that theme. It brings wonderful security, wonderful meaning. You belong to Jesus. Who are you? More than how you look, it's not about that. Your identity isn't about your sexuality, the color of your skin. Your identity isn't about whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you've got kids or whether you don't, whether you're working or whether you're unemployed. First and foremost, who are you? You are in Christ Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Well, number four. We're up to verse two, by the way. I told you we're going slowly. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, who are you? We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. That's the first word there, grace. What is grace? It is God's undeserved kindness. Our God is so kind to us. And the book of Ephesians is Filled with how kind God is, how loving He is, how He forgives us, how He saves us, how He rescues us. But His kindness is not something we deserve. If it was something we deserved, it wouldn't be grace. It would be a wage. For those of you who have a job, if you work, you do your hours that you were meant to do, and you do your job, and you put in the hard yards you deserve to get paid. If you don't get paid properly for the work that you've done, you can take it up with HR or something, and you've got a case to stand on. You should get paid. You're owed that money. But now, if, if the good things that God gives us are because of the good things we do, the work that we do, it, it would be a wage. It's what we're owed. But that is not grace. It is God's undeserved gift You and I have sinned against God. We've ignored God. We've rebelled against Him. We deserve the opposite. We deserve judgment. And instead, He gives us grace. He's loved us. He's saved us. He gave up His Son for us. There's a reason why the most famous song ever written is Amazing Grace. Because it really, it's amazing. And so, This theme of grace, it's going to come up so much in the book of Ephesians. Let me give you some highlights. Chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Chapter 1, verse 7, the riches of God's grace. Chapter 2, verse 7, the incomparable riches of God's grace. Chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace you've been saved. Chapter 3, verse 7, a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace. Chapter 4, verse 7. To each one of us, grace has been given. Grace, grace, grace. There's something special about the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is structured with a shape of grace. A shape of grace. Chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians 
is all about what God has done by His grace. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, there are basically no commands. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. The first three chapters of Ephesians, first half of it, there's basically nothing where it's telling us to do something. It's not until you get to the second half that the commands come. Now, that order is so important. Imagine if the book of Ephesians started, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, make sure you do this, and number two, do this, and also do this, and make sure you live like this. It'd just be draining. It'd just be depressing. No, it starts for three whole chapters with what God has done. His grace, His kindness, His love. It gets to commands. We're called to obey God, but that is in response to grace. Not to earn what God has done. That is the difference between Christianity and pretty much every other religion. That is not about what we do. It's about, firstly, what God has done. The shape of grace. I hope we'll see that as we look at this beautiful book. Well, lastly, who are we? We are people of peace. People of peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the letter ends... If you flick to the end, with peace and grace. (laughs) Grace and peace, peace and grace. These are big themes. Peace. We're longing for for peace in our world in 2024, aren't we? The war in Gaza, the war between Ukraine and Russia, politicians fighting against each other, people insulting each other on social media. We just need peace. And as followers of Jesus, we are people of peace. The book of Ephesians talks about how we have peace, firstly with God. We're saved to be in a relationship with Him, but because of that, we have peace with each other. Peace in the church, the family of God. Let me give you a few highlights. Chapter 2, verse 17 says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Would it be people who keep the peace? And chapter 6, verse 15 says, Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We are people of peace. I believe there is no greater peace than the peace found in Jesus. Of of being in a relationship with the God who made you. Of having your sins washed clean. I love the hymn, It Is Well. The writer, he writes about peace. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, 
thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever hardship, God offers peace. It is well. It is well with your soul. So I'm really looking forward to this letter of Ephesians. These two verses, we've seen a bit of a sneak peek of what is to come. Who are we? We're messengers. We're saints. We're in Christ. We're saved by grace. And we're people of peace. You know, I think the more that we dwell on what God has to say about us, rather than what others say about us, the more life starts to make sense. Because who are you? Whose voice truly matters? Who are you? If you want that answer, look to Jesus alone. Because if you follow him, you belong to him. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been saved by your loving grace, that we have peace with you and peace with one another in your family, the church. We thank you that we've been set apart for you as saints, that we are messengers of your gospel, that we are in Christ Jesus. We pray as we dwell on these beautiful truths that you would change us so that we live for you in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.